and welcome to the Crowns and Constitutions podcast. This is episode one, From Rome to the Supreme Court, an introduction to the Magna Carta. Welcome to this inaugural episode of the Crowns and Constitutions podcast. This podcast is going to begin with a series on the Magna Carta. And indeed, this first episode, we will begin to set the stage by discussing foundational historical concepts, movements, and people that begin a series of events leading up to the dramatic, earth-shattering moment in Western legal history when King John sealed the Great Charter, known to history as the Magna Carta in 1215 on the plains of Runnymede, guaranteeing civil rights, liberties, and the rule of law that has lasted down to modern times. At least that's what we've been told as part of our standard American upbringing in education and civics. But is that really the case? Indeed, no less than the American Bar Association sponsored a memorial to the Magna Carta at Runnymede with a plaque renewing the American legal system's debt to the principles of the Magna Carta. Visitors to the National Archives in Washington, D.C. to this day, they also can view one of the remaining copies of the Magna Carta along with a quote from President Franklin Roosevelt that says, quote, The democratic aspiration is no mere recent phase in human history. It is written in the Magna Carta. Unquote. That indeed is quite a statement, and perhaps one that needs to be reconsidered. Was democracy written into the Magna Carta like President Roosevelt claimed? It certainly would be unfair to claim the Magna Carta has no influence on the world today. The Magna Carta continues to be cited in modern legal court opinions, including at the level of the Supreme Court. As recently as 2022 in the Dobbs v. Jackson Health case, uh, the one that reversed the Roe v. Wade decision, the role of Magna Carta was mentioned in the context of interpreting the Due Process Clause of the 14th Amendment. In 2019, the Supreme Court of the United States discussed in great detail the import of the Magna Carta and its role in informing the American Bill of Rights, in particular with respect to the Eighth Amendment's prohibition on excessive fines. Noting that the Eighth Amendment was based on the English Constitution, which itself was based on the Magna Carta of 1215, it therefore carried forward protections found in the Magna Carta into our American Constitution. This is also a remarkable statement. In 2015, the Supreme Court discussed how the Takings Clause, the clause that prohibits government from seizing property without justly compensating the landowner, has roots dating back to the Magna Carta. The court noted that the colonists brought the principles of Magna Carta with them to the New World, including that charter's protection against uncompensated takings of personal property. The U.S. Supreme Court often refers to the Magna Carta in the context of its understanding by the great English commentators, such as Edward Koch and William Blackstone. For example, in another 2015 case involving the denial of a naturalized citizen's husband's application for a visa, the court stated, quote, Edward Koch whose institutes were read in the American colonies by virtually every student of the law, thoroughly described the scope of the interests that could be deprived 
only pursuant to the law of the land. Magna Carta, Coke wrote, ensured that without due process, no man may be taken or imprisoned, decised of his lands or tenements, or dispossessed of his goods or chattels, exiled or forejudged to life or limb, disherited or put to torture or to death. Unquote. The court goes on to say that Blackstone's description of the rights protected by Magna Carta is similar, although he discusses them in terms much closer to the life, liberty, or property terminology used in the Fifth Amendment. Blackstone described first an interest in personal property consisting in a person's legal and uninterrupted enjoyment of his life, his limbs, his body, his health, and his reputation. While it cannot be doubted that much of the Magna Carta contains references to the obscure principles well known to a medieval world but completely foreign to a modern American audience, those who wish to cite to the Magna Carta in support of a post-revolutionary liberal legal order typically refer to only a very limited number of clauses in the Magna Carta in an effort to demonstrate that deeply rooted history of such inalienable rights. Two of the most commonly cited clauses in the Magna Carta include clauses 39 and 40. Now, as you will see, statements in Magna Carta are promises, forced ones at that, from King John to his barons. Now, Clause 39 states, quote, No free man shall be seized or imprisoned or stripped of his rights or possessions or outlawed or exiled or deprived of his standing in any way, nor will we proceed with force against him or send others to do so, except by the lawful judgment of his equals or by the law of the land, unquote. Clause 40 states, quote, To no one will we sell, to no one deny or delay right or justice, unquote. Now, putting aside for the moment other promises John made to his barons that are not often looked at or discussed uh, in the same way that clauses 39 and 40 are, um, if we just focus in on clauses 39 and 40 that I just read, the casual reader, it should cause the casual reader to ask some good questions, such as, what did John mean that no free man shall be seized or imprisoned? What did he mean by a free man? Or where does this lawful judgment of a man's equals come from? And what does he actually mean by the law of the land? It's interesting how these phrases seem familiar to modern Americans, and yet the context in which these promises John makes to his barons could very well impact what both King John and the barons, who thought they were receiving the benefit of these promises, intended or understood. Perhaps the original meaning or the original intent of the Magna Carta was something wholly different than how these very same words were used to justify revolutions in the future and modern constitutional provisions. So again, we must ask ourselves some important questions about modern claims concerning the Magna Carta if we are to truly understand upon what grounds or foundations our modern legal and political systems rest upon. What really was Magna Carta and what did it actually do? 
who are the key players? And can we assume our position today is similar to that to those who oppose the evil King John? And when was King John really as bad as we were taught in the Robin Hood tales anyway? Can we just ignore those other arcane provisions in the Magna Carta that no one ever talks about? That we're told just deal with remnants of the past that we no longer need to concern ourselves with? Does the Magna Carta in fact play an important role in modern constitutional law that so many claim and that is taught in the third grade social studies textbooks, all the way up to the textbooks used in Harvard Law School? These are questions this series intends to answer by taking a deep dive into medieval legal and political history with an objective eye to discovering the truth behind that great charter that so many political philosophers, lawyers, and courts have used to support, used in support of their claim for certain rights-based liberties. One other practical reason we may want to take a deep dive into the study of the Magna Carta, besides the fact it's just interesting and fascinating, that it is that it will help us understand what law really is, and it will help us to understand what we mean by the concept of a right. In today's post-Enlightenment world, where novel philosophical ideas influenced, and some would say tainted, the notion of law, as well as a lot of other disciplines, our notion of rights and duties towards others under an organized political system has only morphed over time, but many would say has been corrupted. And one approach to understanding this would be to study political philosophers of the 17th, 18th, and 19th century, as so many modern political scientists like to do. That is true. You can take that path. But I think this misses the point entirely. It is not possible to understand enlightenment notions of rights and duties without an understanding of what came before that. Magna Carta plays a very important role in this understanding. I contend that our modern post-enlightenment notion of rights, so often claimed to be found in the Magna Carta, has been distorted to the point that the notion of a right no longer has any meaning. Anyone today can claim a right to something else. Sometimes these rights derive from legislative enactments. Sometimes these rights derive from a nebulous and shifting notion of a human right. Other times they come from written constitutions, such as the U.S. Constitution of 1787, or the unwritten English Constitution. Others would argue that authentic or inalienable rights are not created by any human enactment at all, but simply pre-exist any human positive law and derives directly from God himself or exists as part of a natural law. To get back to the proper and well-ordered understanding of right, we need to re-examine our legal history, where such rights are said to derive from, and then ask ourselves, do the rights we claim truly exist? Or are they nothing more than a legal fiction created to justify whatever behavior or policies a particular group wishes to impose on others at any particular time? Certainly, there is no lack of claim to rights by both modern uh, progressive and conservative ideologies in the United States. So if we have a correct understanding of our history concerning the development of the notion of right, 
we can then more properly analyze and judge modern right claims, you know, whether it's a right to bear arms or a right to abortion. We can judge those claims against an objective standard. And this process, in turn, will not only inform us about our past, but provide a proper paradigm for understanding where we need to go as a nation in a future that remains uncertain. Unlike a pre-prepared and pre-recorded online course, this educational experience is going to take the form of a podcast. It's going to be an ongoing and dynamic effort that will make twists and turns as we move through history, and ultimately where we land, I cannot say for certain at this point. What I can say is that we will cover the background and the players necessary to understand the Magna Carta. We will take a deep dive into the provisions of the Magna Carta itself. We will touch on key historical events that play a vital role in Magna Carta's history, such as Germanic and feudal law, William the Conqueror's invasion of England, the assassination of Archbishop Thomas Becket, and the often ignored role of the church in the lead-up to the Magna Carta, and how the church's rights play an indispensable part in Magna Carta. I also hope to discuss the legacy of the Magna Carta and perhaps bring us back to where we started at the footsteps of the modern Supreme Court of the United States, to see if the path is as straight and clear as the court seems to think. In the next episode, we will begin this journey back as far as the collapse of the Western Roman Empire as we begin to set the stage for a new Christian world of kingship and monarchy built on the ruins of a once dominant civilization that ruled much of the world. <laughs>